Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome back to Drop Pass Podcast, bud. Brand new week ahead and another awesome guest appearance in the back burner. So once more, huge thanks to Nikki Borgstrom for coming on and sharing his story with us a couple of weeks ago. It became the longest interview as well as episode to date, so I'm really grateful for Nikki for his time and also hope that you guys enjoyed it as much as I did while recording the record-breaking episode itself. And some of you might have noticed that there wasn't a brand spanking new episode last week and the answer to that could be found from the show's social media pages since I announced a free giveaway last Wednesday in collaboration with one of my former teammates and a guy that just went to the Stanley Cup Finals last spring, Florida Panthers forward Eetu Luostarinen, whose game-worn and signed Bauer Vapor Hyperlite is still up for grabs for anyone and everyone who wants to see if Lady Luck is on their side this time around. You can find all the necessary instructions for the giveaway from the show's IG, Twitter slash X and TikTok accounts. So if you are in need of a new twig or just want to have some NHL memorabilia decorating your home, go check out the social media platforms and enter yourself to the participant pool before the deadline of October 31st. But that is about it when it comes to reminders, and with that we are pretty much set for our this week's adventure, which will cover the opening days of the brand new NHL 2023-2024 season. So, if you are down for some NHL talk, stick with me and let's get this show on the road. Without further ado, let's get go. Okay, bud. Time to once again talk some NHL hockey, and this week we are solely going to be focusing on the brand new NHL season and its early antics since it's been two weeks since the last update and a lot has happened since then, so I think it should be wise to get back on track and see what has happened since my final NHL season previews. And don't worry, we ain't going to go over game by game because... Ain't nobody got time for that, but more so, we are going to run the clock back a bit and, for example, go over the big contract extensions that were handed out to names such as Shifley, Hellebuck, Power, Dalin, and, of course, Trevor Zegras, amongst few others. But also, we are going to touch upon the few trades that happened since the preseason started, and we will highlight also the waiver claims and most recent injury news that have happened since the last update. So, call it an update episode, if you will, but... That is pretty much the plan for this week's show. And we will kick things off with all the official news first, and then once we waddle through the swamp, we will end the episode with some miscellaneous stuff, aka the entertainment section of today's show, where we cover things like Austin Matthews' back-to-back hat-trick start, Buffalo's early struggles, plus obviously we have to pay our respects to King's goalie extravaganza, so... If you want to skip the so-called formal section, which will include all the notable transactions and such, you can use the timestamps from the description to find your way to the spot that warms your heart. But definitely, if you are a super fan, I would advise you to stick around in order to get yourself back on track if you've happened to slack on the news department during past couple of weeks. But let's get going because we have more than few storylines to uncover before getting to the good stuff and in order to get there. 
we have to swim our way through the thick stuff thanks to our last guest appearance and giveaway week. So, first on the board, we will have the contracts extensions that were handed out to names Matt Zuccarello, Marcus Foligno, Ryan Hartman, Trevor Zegres, Jamie Drysdale, Rasmus Dallin, Owen Power, Devon Taves, and Justin Danforth. And just to be clear, every deal except for the ones that were given to Zegres and Drysdale will kick in in the summer of 2024, so those two names are the only exceptions in this list of names. But so, Justin Danforth, who suffered a season-ending injury midway through the 22-23 campaign, was offered a one-year, 1.1 million contract extension from the Blue Jackets, which he ended up accepting about a week ago. And although some of you might be questioning the value in this deal, I need to point out that he hasn't been a total train wreck for the Jackets during his time there, and in fact has decent analytics on his side as their bottom six options, so... Certainly that team has way worse contracts on their books and that's why I'm just happy that we ended up seeing him getting his real NHL ticket after a few years spent in the Cheese Toast Hockey League, followed by three years of overseas domination. But not a huge extension by any means, especially when you compare it to the ones right beside him. Next we will take a look at the Ducks duo of Drysdale and Seagrass who finally got their new paychecks right before the opening days of the new NHL campaign and I gotta say that Pat Verbeek has proved to be a tough son of a bitch and these two deals just proved that since he used every centimeter he had in his hands to squeeze out the deals he was looking for and really took their agents to the edge when it came down to time pressure related to contract signings. But just like I said in the Pacific preview, the offers that were rumored to be on the table for Z with 2-3 million price tag were just outright laughable but you know, that's just the way these negotiations go. The other party begins negotiating from the lowest end possible. Meanwhile, the player reps try to winch the asking price to the roof and eventually, at least hopefully, they find the spot from the no man's land that suits both camps. But if this is the way Verbeek will operate in his cabinet as long as he stays in Orange County, I can tell you straight up that I wouldn't be too thrilled if I was representing one of the Ducks players myself, that's for sure, because you ain't getting anything for free and have to use every bullet in your disposal in order to win any battles against a 20-year NHL vet. But when it comes to their extensions, I have to say that they were somewhere around the mark I was expecting them to be. Drysdale not so surprisingly got the short end of the stick without arbitration rights and a low game amount from last year, and he had to settle for a 3 times 2.3 million extension. Meanwhile, Seagrass's paycheck was dragged up to 5.75 for the next three years which is more than deserved, but obviously, I would have expected to see it being closer to the 6.5 million mark, but as I said, nothing came free, and now he has three years to prove that he's worth more than 7 or 8 million price tag, which is about the market price for these types of players in the current day. So in conclusion, House won in this case not that surprisingly since it had the leverage over its players and used that to gain the upper hand, so obviously for the players, these deals most likely weren't what they were looking for, but three years isn't that long of a time, so if they end up reaching their top-tier potentials, that time gap could work in their favor, but as of now, the Ducks are the winners here. No questions about it. Seagrass is off to a slow start with only one dot from four contests, but I would say that that could be a consequence of completely missing the entire training camp, but 
I guess no one is expecting him to take a full-on nosedive from a cliff this year because the Ducks have improved a bit in the offseason and new blood has started to enter their lineup. So in my point of view, it's just a matter of time once we once again see that beautiful lettuce soaring in the highlight reels. No questions about that. Drysdale, on the other hand, has looked quite nice on the ice with the youngish Ducks flock and has two apples from the first two games, so I'm really happy to see that he's back on the bike after missing so much action last year, and I hope that he's able to keep up his pace and starts to earn more media attention as the NHL season progresses, because many people for some reason have already labeled him as a bust due to his injuries and all that, but I can tell you straight up that if those are part of the past now, you are watching the next big Ducks offensive blue liner in the making because he just has too many tools in his disposal to not pan out and only things slowing him down are injuries. So let's just hope that he now gets a foolish NHL campaign on his belt because that is exactly what he needs in order to elevate his game to the next level on the NHL ice. But that's that when it comes to the Ducks duo. Next we have Mini's trio of Zuccarello, Foligno and Hardman who all got pretty similar extensions from Billy G, at least when it comes to dollar value. Zuc was signed to a two-year 4.125 million extension, which is a brilliant deal in my opinion given that although he's starting to reach the final years of his pro career, he has established daily partnership with their star Kirill Kaprizov and if you get north of 50 points from a guy earning just above 4 million per season, I think it's a bargain and even in a situation where he completely starts to lose his footing in the NHL, that dollar amount won't handcuff the team by any means and is easily buryable like many other veteran deals in the league currently. Hardman's deal that will kick in in 2024 will carry a 4 million price tag for the next three years. Meanwhile, Moose, commonly known as Marcus Foligno, got one extra year on his paper with the same AAB as in Hardman's extension, so once again, a fairly friendly dollar amount, at least in my opinion, because these two at the end of the day are middle six forwards who can step into top-line duty if need be. And while both guys had pretty disastrous 22-23 campaigns on a personal level, they are glue guys on that lineup and bring some much-needed edge to Mini's game, so honestly I was a bit surprised to see them both getting sub-5 million deals, especially since Hartman took a pay cut in his previous deal that was negotiated back in 2021. So all in all, not game-breaking signings by any means, and these guys are players that could fetch decent returns on the open market if made available, so when looking at their current cap hits, I would say you could have done much worse even if these two guys couldn't get back to their 21-22 season point levels. Then we head to Mile High City which holds the big crime scene for the robbery of the year aka Devon Taves, 7 years, 7.25 million AAV. Lord have mercy I'm about to bust. Like tell me. How is this even possible? One of the best two-way defensemen and definitely a top three shutdown defenseman in the league was locked up to a 7.25 million deal. Like with what instruments and on what planet? Well, I guess when you get to play alongside Kel McCarr for the next seven years and get to dish the puck up to Nate Dog and Rane Rantanen, you take a discount, but goddamn, was this a steal and a half. And I know that some of you guys don't necessarily rank him as high as I do, and more than likely the reason for that is you don't follow the advanced analytics, but there is no doubt 
about the fact that he ain't worth just 7.25 million. No way. No how with the way he's top tier on both sides of the puck. I was almost certain that the Avs would have had to drag the extension talks until summer because their current cap situation ain't that favorable in the grand scheme of things. But this makes the next offseason feel like a breeze because he was one of the white whales of the upcoming free agency period. And now that he's signed, the crop of available big names on the market has ringed down tremendously. And their GM Chris McFarland can give himself a nice POB for his accomplishment because like I said, I haven't seen this kind of a bank robbery since God knows how long. And as I'm recording this, I'm just as lost for words as I was when this deal was announced, so since I just can't form anything reasonable to say, we are just going to leave it at that, because just to make it clear to you once more, this is one of the biggest deals of the century, whether you like it or not. End of discussion. So Devon Taves, 7 years, 7.25 million AAV, not a big deal, keep the change, let's just head to Buffalo next. And since we are on the topic of steals, how does it sound when I tell you that the Sabres have locked up their three top names and future superstars until 2030? Sounds pretty fan-fucking-tastic, am I right? Well, yeah, that lane wasn't cheap, but he's going to win Norris in no time, so I think you have to pay those guys more than just pocket change. So, Dallin, 8 years, 11 million per season. And yes, some of you are already ripping your grass pants, but have you seen what type of a player he has become within the past two years? Yes, he's now dangling the opposing forwards on the blue line like prime Eric Carlson with zero hesitation. He's saucing biscuits across the ice, once again, just like prime EK65. And he's even throwing his body around, just as Filipito, who most recently got in the highlight reels thanks to Dalin's perfectly executed old-school hip check. So yeah, he's starting to utilize all the tools he showed us in the SHL before going first overall. He's quickly starting to race to the Norris conversation, and I'm so damn glad that I didn't abandon the ship when the tide really tossed his boat around. And I'm not saying that I didn't give my fair share of critique back in the day, but never was I willing to call him a bust due to the fact that most young blue liners take time to mature to NHL hockey. So needless to say, a pricey contract, but a one you had to sign no questions about it. We are just scratching the surface of his elite edge, and I will bet my grandmom's house on the fact that we are about to see more than a handful of highlight reel plays from him this year as the Sabres get their shit together and end their early season slump. And oh yeah, by the way, also Owen Power was signed for the next 8 years with 8.35 ticket, which by the way, is pretty much neck and neck with Jake Sanderson's deal, so at least some of you who doubt Sanderson's game now have a reference point which you can use to compare his game to. But just like I've said multiple times before, it's just a matter of time before the Sabres enter the postseason conversation. And like you know, I'm betting on them reaching that milestone already this year despite the slow start. Their future card is locked up and Devon Levi is feeling the growing pains of becoming an NHL starter. So it's just a waiting game in Buffalo at this point. And certainly the one thing they certainly possess is time. And yeah, their fan base could probably argue against that. But at least those two are 
actually three or even four studs if you're counting cousins are going nowhere. That's for sure. And the final duo that will decorate our today's contract section is the one in Winnipeg and more specifically names Connor Hellebach and Mark Scheifele who earned 7-year 8.5 million replica contracts which means that they will remain in Winnipeg for at least the foreseeable future. And this way, take out two of my season preview hot takes. But this headline pretty much came out of nowhere because we hadn't heard any noise out of Winnipeg that would have suggested that these two guys would have been signed right before the season kicks off. But that is the reality and this changes a lot since if their GM Kevin Sheveldayoff would have chosen the retooling route following the 23-24 season, their entire future outlook would have been completely different since these two guys have been part of their core ever since joining the team back in 2012 and 2015. So by all means, this deletes a truckload of uncertainty from their ongoing season and I gotta hand it to Chevy for his ability to pull this off without making any noise because now the entire organization can just fully focus on delivering on the ice without having to worry if this will be the final year these two guys represent the team that drafted them over 10 years ago. And when it comes to their 8-year deals, it's gotta be said that at the back half, these without a doubt will start to weigh on their cap situation, but that is a problem for another day since they are still in their prime and the cap ceiling will be way higher when their games start to regress, so all in all, I was very happy when I heard the news and learned that Winnipeg was going to continue their push with these two cornerstone guys, leading their new slightly retooled squadron. So great signings in my opinion, we should keep them competitive as long as they don't drastically start changing things in the true north. But those were the major extensions that were handed out since we last time dealt with NHL contracts and the final deals I want you to know of are the ones that ended up turning from a professional tryout contracts to one year close to league minimum fees, which includes names Jonah Kadjovic, Adam Ernie, Noah Gregor, Austin Watson, Jack Aston Reese and Colin White. And there might have been some other names in the mix as well, which got two way deals from their respective clubs, for example, Yol Kivir on the bed. As of now, those are the main guys that jumped out when I went through Cap Friendless contract section. Gadjovic was signed by the Florida Panthers after debuting with AHL's Charles Checkers. Adam Ernie got a one year league minimum deal from the Edmonton Oilers after his tryout. Whereas the same thing happened in Tampa. Toronto and Pittsburgh as the Bolts signed bottom six tough guy Austin Watson, Leafs signed speedy winger Noah Gregor, and lastly, the Pens inked down the right-handed two-way forward Colin White who is still searching for his permanent home address since leaving Ottawa in 2022. And pretty much the only exception within this bunch of names is forward Jack Aston Reese who was invited to Carolina's training camp earlier on this fall but failed to impress their brass section and got cut from the roster, but soon after the Red Wings swooped by and snagged the defensively-minded bottom sixer from the market with one-year league minimum deal. But as far as commonly known names go, that's pretty much the list, and next we will cover the waiver front since we've seen many guys getting snagged from the wire since the NHL training camps got started, and teams began sending guys down that ended up being waiver eligible. So to just quickly go through the name list, first we have Ivan Prospetov who was claimed from Arizona by the Avalanche due to the fact that Pavel Francouz has been on and off their lineup for some time and they need certainly between their pipes if they aim to challenge for the top spots in the West, no doubt. 
and Prosvetov should be a guy that can get you 20 to 30 games max and ain't a complete host between the sticks, so this was a good move by the Avs in my eyes, because now they can let Anon and marinate in the AHL, and he doesn't need to bounce back and forth if the two guys stay healthy up top. Then bottom six forward, AJ Greer was weighed by the Boston Bruins, which kind of surprised me a bit since he has been a decent lower line grindy type of player for them for two years now, but I guess they wanted to inject some youth into their ranks and in the aftermath, the Flames ended up snatching him from the waiver wire, which was a move I really liked because they had a spot open in the roster for a guy that can do the dirty work with this rugged playstyle. Then Pittsburgh Penguins ended up grabbing young defenseman John Ludwig from Florida, who has been dealing with major injuries ever since joining the AHL back in 2021, so his earlier NHL trajectory has taken a quite a trashing since getting drafted in the third round, and it will remain to be seen if he's ever able to step into the bright lights due to health concerns and all that jazz. But that wasn't the only waiver claim the Pens made since a couple days earlier they ended up snatching bottom six forward Jansen Harkins from the Winnipeg Jets. And at least so far, he's looked quite good for the Pens squad and has brought a lot of speed and tempo to their game, which is exactly what an aging group like that could use within the 82-game campaign. The Nashville kept on pumping young names to their depth chart as they claimed Swedish forward Samuel Fagemel from the LA Kings, who pretty much has been tickling the NHL doors for two years now thanks to his great shot and solid two-way game, but at least to this date, hasn't been able to solidify his spot in the bright lights, but now at least in my opinion, the opportunity to make that happen couldn't be greater since Nashville is currently observing their lineup and looking which names can be difference makers once they start climbing back towards the top of the Western Conference standings. Also 16-wheeler Ross Johnston was claimed by the Anaheim Ducks, who was two years ago signed to a mind-boggling 1.1 million extension by the Fossil Lula Moriello, so... At least that's one way to get rid of back contracts, and I'm happy that he finally realized that that is an option as well. Former first-round pick Grigory Denisenko was also weighed by the Florida Panthers somewhat surprisingly, and in the end the Vegas Golden Knights ended up bolstering their prospect pipeline with the slick Russian, who has yet to make a significant impact on the NHL level. There are some doubters that have labeled him as a bust, but the new scenery could do some good for the kid because so far he's been over point per game in the AHL and should be one of the first names called up when the Knights start to feel the injury bug returning to their premises once again later on this year. Goaltender Spencer Martin headed from Vancouver to Midwest as the Blue Jackets claimed him in order to add another name to their goalie rotation. And while he won't be a huge difference maker in their blue paint, at least now they have options in net if Elvis ends up sucking in pucks like a pro lady, like has happened in prior two seasons. And partially in order to keep Martin in Columbus, the Blue Jackets had to waive their forward Liam Foody, who ended up becoming property of the Nashville Predators who claimed him from the open market. And finally, of course we have the Lasty Thompson saga, and to anyone who isn't aware of his situation, he was first waived by the Sens, and the Ducks took advantage of that by claiming him soon after he was made available, but only a couple days later, he was once again thrown into the waiver wire, and the Sens ended up bringing him back after failing to make an impression in the preseason with the young Ducks squad. And unfortunately, it is starting to seem like the former first-round pick is starting to lose his footing in the NHL circle, so a scenery change could have been 
actually good for him since the Sens prospect pipeline is fairly stacked. And for example, currently he's sitting behind Jacob Bernard Docker, who will see more minutes on the NHL ice than Thompson, I would imagine. So the situation isn't very favorable for the young Finn, at least currently in the Canada's capital. But that is the waiver wire, and just before we move on to the more miscellaneous headlines from the young NHL season, we still have few trades to talk about, plus few retirement announcements that concern few familiar NHL names that hung up their skates once the season was over. So let's push through those as well before getting to the current headlines of NHL hockey. So the quick overview of the trades that we've seen is following. Leafs traded forward Sam Lafferty to Vancouver in exchange for their 2024 fifth round pick. Not a huge deal by any means, but Lafferty has proved to be a solid bottom six energy forward. So the only thing the Canucks really lost in this transaction is cap space, and at least in my opinion, he's an overall improvement over names such as Niels Ullman and even Sheldon Rice, especially given that Lafferty possesses this nasty physical presence that is currently lacking from their lineup, if you cut out the only exception, Dakota Joshua, from the equation. That trade wasn't the only one, though, since nine days later, they continued to add depth to their roster as they added right-handed defenseman Mark Friedman to their lineup in exchange for DM prospect Jack Rathbone, who unfortunately hasn't quite lived up to expectations in Vancouver, in addition to former Canucks traffic Carl Plasek, whose contract depends ended up terminating soon after, so it basically was just a one-for-one trade between the two teams. Radbone was a highly touted prospect coming out of college back in 2020, but ever since joining the Canucks has struggled to maintain his momentum in order to break into their NHL lineup. And the biggest reason for that has been his lackluster defensive game, which has kept him to just 28 games in the big league within the three-year stay in Vancouver. Time is slowly running out on his part though, and this could end up being one of his final chances to make it to the bright lights, and quite frankly, the odds won't get much better on his part in Steel City since guys like Ty Smith, Xavier Ouellette, Will Butcher, John Ludwig, Pierre-Oliver Joseph, and even surprise name Ryan Shea are battling with him for the available minutes on the left side of their blue line. But fingers crossed, he ends up impressing and makes his way to their NHL lineup for good. Friedman unfortunately ended up being the odd man out on the Pens blue line, which isn't that surprising due to the fact that there was only one open spot for right-handed D on their blue line, thanks to Chris Latang and Eric Carlson manning their first two pairings. But he's going to be a solid add on the Canucks blue line since he can play on both sides of the puck, has quick feet under his ass and possesses solid passing ability, so you can never have too many guys like that on your lineup, and his cap hit ain't even bad either, so... A solid puck moving two-way add to their blue line, at least in my opinion, is big plus for the Canucks organization. And the final deal that we will go over today is another depth trade that saw defenseman Caleb Jones heading from Carolina to Colorado in exchange for an AHL forward Callahan Burke. So, once again, not a blockbuster deal by any means. Jones was signed to a one-year league minimum deal in August, and you might remember that I wondered how on earth the Canes were going to fit all their defensemen to their lineup, because pretty much all they had done to that point was add blue liners to their roster, but now we know that even Don Waddell wasn't able to perform any magical circus acts in order to keep all names in North Carolina, and the Avs ended up getting decent top six defensemen to their roster almost next to nothing. He's certainly an overall improvement over the likes of Jack Johnson and Curtis McDermott, so 
Although he hasn't played any games for the Avs yet, I would imagine seeing him on the top level soon enough because the guy has already 3 points in 3 games on the AHL level and is overall just too good to be buried in the minors, just simple as that. But overall, like I said, the minor deals have highlighted the headlines thus far, which isn't that surprising, but as I've alluded many times before, we could end up seeing lots more trade action as the year progresses because most teams are flirting with the cap ceiling and many strong names are about to enter free agency next summer if contract talks don't start to ramp up soon enough, so expect to see lots more movement in the coming months, especially after we enter the year 2024. Okay, and then the only things we have remaining are the retirements and new captains, which I've touched upon as we've gone through the teams in the season preview episodes, but just to conclude, let's just summarize which names have become the new leaders of their respective franchises. In Boston, Brett Marchand deservedly got the C on his chest, although some might argue that Charlie McAvoy could have been the long-term option for the Beast, but at least as of now, he's the guy that's been there through the ups and downs and has won over the hearts of the Bruins fans, so I didn't question their decision one bit, especially now that he has toned down his extracurricular activities on the ice. Mikael Backlund became the new Flames captain and pretty much this was in the headlights already last year when the rumors started to spread about the possibility of him leaving Calgary next summer if in fact the contract negotiations wouldn't proceed anywhere but alongside his new extension he got the C on his chest and once again I think there weren't too many better options when taking into account his over 10 year NHL career with the Flames. He's respected inside their locker room and is a prototypical team first guy on the ice who isn't known for cutting any corners, so I bet it ended up being an easy decision for their brass once the new deal was signed and sealed. St. Louis Blues named veteran forward Braden Shane as their new captain and I would imagine there isn't really much to talk about here. He still has five more years remaining on his contract and has been the heart and soul type of guy for the team ever since 2017 and was part of the core group that hoisted the cup in 2019, so not really much to speculate about there, just like I said a few moments ago. Quinn Hughes became the new captain of the Canucks organization, and in this case I believe that actions speak louder than words because he's been part of their key trio in Vancouver since 2018, and has four more years remaining on his current sheet, so while some might have argued that Pedersen should have earned the C instead of Hughes, currently it is still up in the air if the Canucks or more specifically, their owner Aquilini wants to keep the suite in town, so this was the safer option, at least in my opinion, and I have nothing bad to say about the guy, so we will just move on to the final team that named its new captain before the season officially kicked off. And that organization ended up being Winnipeg Jets, who named centerman Adam Lowry as their new captain after stripping Blake Wheeler from his captaincy just a year earlier. Lowry is a full-on team guy who loves to play in the dirty areas of the ice, isn't afraid to drop the gloves when the moment demands it, and scored some big goals during the last year's short playoff run, so once again, this selection makes a lot of sense, especially given that at the time, it wasn't known that Shifley and Hellebuck would remain in Winnipeg beyond this year. But if that would have been the case back then, some might have argued that Shifley should have earned the C, but to my knowledge there ain't too many guys in the locker room that have complained about their decisions, so let's just wait to see if their new leader is able to lead this team to the playoffs once again when 82 games have been played in the spring of 2024. And finally, we have the major retirement announcements that came up once we started to creep towards the start of the new NHL season. 
and the names that decided to put an end to their hockey careers include goaltender Corey Schneider, forward Derek Stepan, plus defenseman Jake Musin and Nick Holden. And this time, I'm not going to go into details of each player's NHL career, so overall, I just want to congratulate each and every one of those names for great careers and wish them the very best for whatever the future might end up holding. And with that, we've gone through the so-called formal portion of our today's episode, and the only thing left is to bring up few storylines and observations from the young NHL season, so don't go anywhere. The tempo is starting to change in a second as we loosen up the tie and take the dress shirt out of our suit pants. So, it's time to start dishing the biscuit, and how we are going to do this is by just simply going over a few aspects that have caught my eye as of late while also touching upon few injury announcements that will have their effects on their team's roster outlook in the next coming weeks and months. And actually, let's just start from there because there aren't too many major injuries to go through and I'm not going to go in depth with those except for the one which I will leave as the last one. So pretty much every injury aside from the one I'm leaving last is estimated to take these guys out for one to two months or four to eight weeks, so... It's a rough estimation, but still means that these guys will miss approximately 10 to probably 15 games at least, depending on their respective schedules. Might be less than that if guys make quick recoveries, so don't quote me on that, but for the most part, that is the time estimation for all these injuries. So the players that have entered the IR within the first few games include names Alex Kaligoski, who will be out due to a lower body injury. Winnipeg's recent acquisition, Gabe Villardi, will also be out due to an MCL sprain. Both Luke Shen and Brandon Tanev entered the injured reserve due to lower body injuries. Meanwhile, Washington's Joel Edmondson and most recently Phyllis Mark Stahl will be out of their lineups due to upper body injuries. But what shocked at least the Canadians camp last week was the fact that more than likely their centerman Kirby Duck's 23-24 season is already over and done with after tearing up both his ACL as well as MCL joints in a collision with Chicago's defenseman Jarrett Nordy. And this was tough to hear since Doc's prior season also ended prematurely after 58 games and this was meant to be the year where he continues where he left off last year and becomes one of their top offensive contributors, but as we've now learned, that ain't happening and the former third overall pick is heading to a lengthy rehabbing period which will without a doubt take its toll both physically as well as mentally. And some Hawks fans probably at this point swipe some sweat off their forehead and think that we dodged a bullet there because he was starting to cook last year but the fact is that I can't even imagine what he must be feeling right now because as a hockey and Habs fan I was truly hoping that he could put his pass to bed this year and elevate his game to a whole nother level, but yeah, Lady Luck took him to bed and twisted his stick to a corkscrew, so what else can he really say at this point? And it is just fucking brutal, not only for the player himself, but also for the organization that is putting a lot of trust and resources to these young guys. And when things actually go south, you just gotta retrace your steps and hope that brighter days are ahead for the rest of the guys. And you also gotta remember that knee injuries are sometimes extremely hard to come back from, not to mention trying to get it back to 100, so I'm just hoping the best, but know from personal experience through some of my former teammates that those are not easy injuries to come back from, and they will not only take time, 
but also could have long-lasting effects. But right now, I'm just focusing on staying positive and hoping that he would be able to make his comeback before the season is over because that would give us a sign that this isn't the end of it and we might still end up seeing what he has in store for us once the Habs start to crawl their way back to being relative again in the Eastern Conference. But yeah, those are pretty much the injury updates I wanted to give you. So now finally we can move on to my observations. So I'm really, really sorry if I bored you, but you already know that I want to keep you guys up to date with all that is happening in the big league. So hopefully you are still eager to hear what I have to say about the first few days of the brand new NHL season. And that actually looks to be the case since you are still here. So let's just clock ourselves off and get comfortable for the final few meters of our today's episode. I got a few notes written down here, so I guess it's just best that we start to go over these in a random order because that's probably the easiest way at this point in time. And purely, I just can't be asked right now to start putting these in order, so that has to work for now. But to my actual points, first let's start from Calgary, who are currently 500 after five games of play, and the names that have stood out at least to me are Adam Rusicka in the forefront with four points from five games, but also Jacob Markstrom, who has looked better than last year, although the numbers still aren't where they are supposed to be, but there's still time to change that, but overall, while there's been few easy ones that he should have saved, for the most part, he hasn't been a total liability and should get his numbers up once their game starts to fall in its place. Dan Valdar had a horrendous start to his season and seriously that performance makes me wonder even more. How on earth they decided to go with Vladar instead of Wolf, who's been lights out everywhere he's played within the past four years. But overall their play has been okay thus far and has featured some aspects that usually shadow teams early seasons, so those details are just something they need to work on as the season goes on. And one name that also has caught my eye is the rookie Matt Coronado who has brought some energy to their top 9, but the minus 6 rating after 5 games is still pretty tough to look at, so we'll see if he sticks with the big club or if they end up giving a chance to one of their other young names that are currently feasting in the AHL. Their secondary scoring has been nowhere to be found, and for example Nazem Kadri has just 1 point from 5 games, so their new head coach Ryan Haska has to find a way to get those guys going if they want to challenge for the top spots in the highly competitive Pacific Division. And by the way, my dark horse rookie named Jeremy Poirier has currently 7 points in 3 games in the AHL, so don't be surprised to see his name on their NHL lineup sooner rather than later. Next up, we gotta pay our respects to Los Angeles Kings and the thing I was most wary about, which is their goaltending. Because their netminders were absolute dog shit in their first few games in. Although Talbot has dragged up his numbers to above .900 range, I'm still not sold on that tandem and its ability to hold against the big hitters in the NHL. Phoenix Copley looked absolutely atrocious in his first start, so David Riddick could get his call up rather quickly if his level of play doesn't start to go up. But otherwise, they've had a decent start to their season and their big off-season acquisition Pierre-Luc Dubois has fitted nicely to their top six, while Trevor Moore has had himself a booming start with four Genos and one Apple in five games and could be the guy that takes the next step this year alongside another possible breakthrough candidate Arthur Kaliev, who has three points in first of his three games. So, 
decent start for the Kings as well. And while speaking of booming starts, god damn, Austin Matthews is back with the back-to-back hat tricks to start things off. Keep the change, buddy. If I'm not wrong, he's the first guy to accomplish that in 100 years, so prepare yourself for a plus 60 goal campaign. He led the league after two games purely by just goals, so yeah, he seems to be back big time this year, and so does William Nylander, who currently leads the team in points with nine dots from his first five games. Tyler Bertuzzi hasn't found a groove quite yet in his new hometown, so the hope for the Leafs fans is that he will start to find his game soon enough, because the team's overall performance has really suffered because their first two lines have had to carry the load for the most part thus far. Ilesem Sonov's start has been abysmal as well, so it isn't out of the realm of possibility that their rookie netminder Joseph Wall ends up stealing the crease to himself because Samsonov has looked like the goalie we saw in DC and that is certainly not what the Leafs fans want to see, that's guaranteed. And while we're speaking about disappointing players from Toronto, I also gotta pay my respects to John Klingberg and Ryan Reeves, who quite frankly were the iffiest signings their new GM Brad Tree Living made during this year's offseason. Klingberg has few apples on his stat sheet, but for the most part has looked like a complete train wreck at times on their blue line. And like I said in the summer, his defensive prowess, or in better terms, the lack them of wasn't something the Leafs needed, and that has showed quite clearly within the first few games of the hockey season. Reeves is a welcomed addition to their locker room, but so far he has zero points in his score sheet, which isn't something we are expecting to see, quite honestly, but he also has minus four on his plus-minus column and has been a freeloader so far in their defensive zone, so... Unfortunately, if this keeps on going, he could be out of their lineup soon enough because they need to find more from their players defensively because you can't just find lucky bounces that go your way each night and hope that you are able to outscore your opponents on any given night. So not a great start by any means, but at least something to build on, that's for sure. Moving along to Buffalo, who seriously struggled out the gates, but as of late have found some momentum and have returned back to winning ways, although their first line still isn't firing on all cylinders, and that's why I gotta be honest and tell you that if they can get their play on track, the Sabres, who I projected to be a playoff team this year, could end up falling short from their goal after 82 games. They've now won two games, and what was surprising was the fact that their star forward Tate Thompson was held pointless through the first three games, and finally he was able to break his scoreless streak in their fourth outing against the Flames, and you could visibly see his pain going away when he found the back of the net with his wrister. So, that is the problem number one, like a production from their first line, but an even bigger problem so far has been their defense and goaltending. Devon Levi is right now feeling the effects of becoming a starter on the next level as a young netminder, just like I had expected, and a sub-900 save percentage proves that quite literally. But now that their big guns are finally on the board, there's some room for optimism, but without a doubt, if this team gets off to a start that features something like 7 losses from 10 games, they should just start focusing on next year, because the Atlantic division this year is a no-joke thanks to Detroit's and Ottawa's strong starts. 
So a lot of work to do in Buffalo if they aim to finish the year within the playoff picture, but Jack Benson has looked promising in his first few games, but right now I just don't see him sticking with the big club after nine games because he unfortunately ain't quite there yet physically, which has caused some problems for him in the early season, but extremely promising start for a guy that for some fucking odd reason ended up falling in last summer's NHL entry draft. Vancouver Canucks, on the other hand, have had a quite decent start to their season and the bright spot for them through the first few games has been hands down their winger Brock Besser, who kicked off the season with a four-goal performance. He currently has six goals and one apple through the first five games and it's looking like last year was just the start for this guy who pretty much went unnoticed for the most fans due to the struggles that the Canucks went through during last year's NHL campaign. Ellis Pedersen has been on fire with 10 markers from five games and also their other top dogs, Hughes, Kuzmenko and Miller alongside him have provided enough offense for the team to get few wins under their belt. And both of their net monitors even have been rock fucking solid so far, so it seems like the Dismith addition ended up being as good of an addition as I had anticipated. And that year Demko looks to be back to his elite self, so while they have just three wins from five games, this is the start they needed and will have to build up on this if they want to challenge for the playoff spots later on during the spring. Anthony Beauvillier unfortunately has had a slow start to his season and is still without points after four games, and the guy that has been brought up to the trade rumors, Connor Garland, has only two points from four games, so if there is any demand out there, I would expect to see him somewhere else already before the Christmas break, because he's been struggling offensively ever since arriving in Vancouver from Arizona. On the other hand, their additions, Philip Ronick and Sam Lafferty, have fitted nicely to their roster and have brought their strength to their seemingly rejuvenated Canucks bunch. So all in all, a pretty good start for the Canucks, who without a doubt are one of the teams I'm most intrigued about because I had really tough time when trying to figure out if I would go with Seattle or Vancouver making the playoffs. So while we're on the topic, I might as well go over some aspects from their competitive perspective as well. So the Kraken finally got their first win against the Hurricanes a couple nights ago, but until that point, it was pretty much straight up misery for the fans because they lost four out of four games to start their season off. And even last night got pummeled by the New York Rangers. Their cohesive two-way game seems to be completely missing. Goaltenders can't stand on their head and the three-line production that they displayed in the playoffs seems to be completely gone as well, so their start has made me wonder if last year really was a one-hit wonder like I feared to be the case. Because at least through the six games they haven't looked like themselves and that's really worrying to say the least. And yes, the season is still extremely young, so I certainly don't want to panic based on just a handful of games, but compared to their start last year, this has been a major change and they gotta start finding some answers soon enough because there won't be any free playoff tickets on offer this year from the West that I can tell you straight face to face. So all in all, lots of work to be done but their win against the Kings seemed to spark some type of flame under their ass so let's just see if that was the spark plug they needed for their early season. From the other side of the spectrum though, we find the Detroit Red Wings whose offense has been absolutely humming out the gates with names Larkin and Debrinket completely dominating offensively in their first five games of the season. 
De Brinket has five goals in five games and eight points overall, while Larkin is currently leading the team in points with nine dots from five games, so it's easy to say that if this pace keeps up, these two will be quite high in the overall rankings when all is said and done. Lucas Raymond though hasn't quite been able to stay with these studs, but there's still lots of time left to bring those numbers up if he gets the opportunity to play alongside these two speed demons. And overall, when you have four wins from five games, you can't complain too much. So, so far, it's looking good for this team if you close your eyes from their defense and more specifically, their most recent acquisitions, Sherrod and Petrie. And you could maybe add in Ville Husso's name as well, who hasn't quite stolen the show as of yet, and 0.901 save percentage isn't still sufficient enough in the long run. So, if this team keeps its pace, he has to drive up his numbers even more. Or otherwise, they could start looking for replacements if they can't find them within because their current course could suggest that they will be flirting with a playoff spot once the game amount starts to get closer to the 82-game mark. And if you doubted me when I said that Jack Hughes' 100-point season was already locked up, you might want to start contemplating your life decisions because the guy is absolutely dominating on the ice and he's currently leading the league in points with four talks and six helpers from four games. So yeah, the guy is absolutely humming as well, and it's been treat to watch because he is just stupidly skilled. And there's also not much to complain about when it comes to his linemate Jesper Brad either, because the Swede currently has eight points from four games, so could be much worse, that's for sure. Timo Meyer has seriously struggled offensively in his new hometown and currently has just one marker on his score sheet, so the question remains, how long is it going to take for him to start catching up with the top guns offensively? Their depth scoring is also still missing, which is something they need to change if they aim for the top spots in the East. And goaltending, which I was concerned about, hasn't necessarily been bulletproof with sub-0.895 save percentage on both netminders, so... Some good and some bad is the overview of the Devils' first few games of the season. Ottawa, like I said, is also off to a decently strong start, and the biggest win for them has been the fact that Josh Norris has officially made his comeback to the roster, and already in season debut found the back of the net twice, so he's a tremendous addition to their top six, like I already said in the season preview episode. Vladimir Tarasenko has also found his crew with his new club and currently leads the team in points with six dots from five games. Timmy Stu and Brady Kachuk have also been as good as advertised and have over point per game averages from their first games. Meanwhile, their young defenseman Jake Sanderson is currently rocking with six points from five games. So it is safe to say that by the looks of it, the extension dollars that were given to him earlier this year won't go to waste if he keeps on producing like this all year around. Their goaltending has been decent as well, so all in all, I would say that their start has been close to what I was expecting before the season started a couple weeks ago. Big question mark though still looms around their young forward Shane Pinto, who according to rumors was offered a one-year, one-million bridge deal from the cap joke sense. But since he's looking something around the 2.5 million mark, you are correct by guessing that he left that offer on the table and headed back home to New York for the foreseeable future. The rumor has it that the Sens are currently testing the market for their middle-slash-bottom-6 option Matthew Joseph, who is off to a decent start himself, but until they deal away one of their names, Pinto will more than likely stay unsigned 
And the worry is that he will join Alex Formentian in the unsigned club who is basically forced to play in Europe. But until that happens, I firmly believe that they will be able to alleviate some cap room in order to sign their young center. Or the other option could be that he himself is dealt if they can't find a way to make some room to their cap space. In Pittsburgh, the old guard is enjoying their time with point-per-game averages, and in the forefront they have forever young Gino Malkin, who has showed no signs of aging by putting up 8 points in the first 5 contests. Their goaltenders have had a strong start to their season as well, and pretty much the only thing that they've been struggling with is their bottom six, who hasn't had that many goal contributions, which was a major problem already during their previous campaign. But 500 hockey isn't what they are looking for this year, so their top guns need to keep producing, while their own end play needs to improve if they aim to see the playoffs after 82 games. In Arizona, Calder candidate Logan Cooley is off to a great start with point per game average. Meanwhile, Washington's pocket rocket Matthew Phillips was able to take up a spot in their lineup, and ever since making his season debut, has been one of the more noticeable Caps players on the ice with his skill and slick footwork. On the other side of the aisle, though, you can pretty much find their entire veteran guard, which has seriously struggled in the early season. And even Alec Ovechkin was held without shots in the first two games, so it really isn't looking too hot for the Cavs currently, and this could end up being the starting point to a long, long rebuilding process, which is hard to hear as a Cavs fan for sure. In Carolina, the goaltending has been absolute dog shit so far, and quite honestly at this stage, I would be really surprised if we saw Antiranta finishing the season in North Carolina, because he's been brutal in his few starts and just got pulled in their previous game against the Seattle Kraken. Freddie Anderson hasn't been that much better either, and Dimitri Orlov's minus 10 rating is pretty hard to look at as a Canes fan when knowing that your team paid almost $8 million for his services, and as of now, has only one point to show for it from the first five games. And unfortunately, while their decor certainly hasn't been as strong as expected, you can't really put too much blame on those guys because their netminders have let in multiple easy goals, and so far, that has cost them points which could have meant that they could be manning one of the top spots with few more wins. So, so far, their performance hasn't been as good as expected, but we all know how good of a team they are, so I wouldn't necessarily panic about their early season progress, and more so, would just focus my worry between their pipes, which has been extremely suspect right from the get-go. St. Louis's Jordan Bennington, on the other hand, has been dominant in his first few starts, and is currently leading the league in save percentage with .959 from three games, so, yes, that is bound to drop, but at least that is much better than what we saw from him during the earlier campaign. Which leads to a question, can he carry the Blues to the postseason once more? That remains to be seen. 2022 Cup Champs Colorado has looked extremely poised in the early season and their big guns have put the pedal to the metal straight from the start whereas their netminder Alexander Georgiev has been a brick wall between their sticks and is looking like we are about to witness another dominant campaign from the former champs if injuries don't end up interfering with their progress like has happened during previous two seasons. 
And while we are speaking of the champs, it has to be said that there is no cup hangover inside in Vegas and the reigning Stanley Cup winners have looked as good as in the playoffs and have dominated the action through their first five games. And quite honestly, their game and structure overall have brought me lots of bolts vibes from their back-to-back cup runs, so it will be interesting to see if this team ends up changing before we head to the postseason or if they just run it back with this core and see if they can find any challengers to beat them to the finish line. And the final point I want to make obviously touches on the name that has been highlighted in all major sport outlets, and that is of course Chicago's first overall pick, Connor Bedard. First NHL faceoff against the Sid the Kid. Doesn't get much better than that. First goal against the Bruins in his second game in the bright lights, and so far, five points from six games is nothing to be ashamed of, especially in a team that lacks any superstars or offensive firepower overall. So to let you guys know, he is him. Plain and simple. Teams have already focused on trying to shut him down in his first few games, so that should tell you something, and that ain't going to change as long as he stays in the league, and that's a factory promise. Quite frankly, the focus on that aspect will only grow the more accustomed he gets to the NHL circles. So yeah, you've probably heard enough Bedard hype, so I'm just going to leave it at that and start closing down today's NHL episode. I'm extremely excited for the new NHL season, and it's always fun to start overreacting to early season action, because sometimes you may forget how long the NHL season truly is and how much can change just within one month, so there are just few pointers I wanted to make from the early season, and much more NHL coverage is inbound once the action starts to pick up even more. Make sure you enter the giveaway on all platforms, because the campaign will only run until the end of October, so you still have time to place your name in the hat before I put all eggs in one basket and check who the lucky winner ends up being who gets their hands on the signed pro-level hockey stick as an early Christmas gift from yours truly. Also check out the previous episode if you've happened to miss it since it's certainly one you want to listen because I haven't had as much fun previously on the show while getting to chat with one of our guests. But that is pretty much it for this week. I hope you enjoyed And yeah, before I forget, as the last note, I have to tell you that I'm starting at a new job this week, which will demand some additional resources in order to get familiar with the new environment. Plus, obviously, some additional training, which could cut down some of my free time. So it remains to be seen if there will be any changes to the upload schedule because of it. But if it does, I hope you understand, because as you know, the start is always the toughest and requires more work. So I hope that you understand if any changes happen and I'll make sure to let you know beforehand so that you are also up to speed with what's currently happening. But that's that. Thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate your support. Have an awesome week, you beauty. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. Alright.